Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. Well, I want to start off with a story today. Uh, It's a story about a guy who uh, recognized there was something terribly wrong going on inside of his body. And so he went to the doctor. They did all kinds of tests. And the doctors came up with just a terrible, you know, a bad prognosis for him. And um, so as they, they came in, they said, they asked if they could talk to the wife first. And so they took the wife into a room. And they said, well, I have some bad news for you. Uh, her husband has a, a, a disease and it's advanced and it's rare and it's, um, you know, w- left untreated. He could lose his life. So she's like, okay. He said, but there's good news. With treatment and, w- you know, he can be healed. He needs some things from you, though. He needs, he's going to have to require a special diet. He can't just eat normal food. He, he's got to have a special diet. You're going to have to prepare all the food that he eats, all the snacks and all the meals that he eats throughout the day. He needs to have them prepared. So you're going to have to prepare everything that he eats. He also needs the environment that he's in to be absolutely clean, a sterile environment. There can be nothing uh, dirty, anything like that. He's going to need you to wait on him hand and foot to make sure that everything around him is clean. You're just going to have to make sure at all times you're available to him. It's going to take more from you than you ever thought you could give. It's going to take more effort and time than it seems like there is. But if you're willing to cook for him, clean for him, serve him in this way over an extended lengthy period of time, he can have healing in his body and he can live. The lady said, all right. So she went out of the room. She walked into where her husband was and he's there kind of nervous. What did the doctor say? She says, puts her head down. Well, bad news. You're going to die. <laughs> oh, it's a terrible, cheesy story, I know, but <laughs> isn't it so true? Sometimes we're like, I'm not doing that, right? I, I, I Ain't nobody got time for all that, right? It's just true sometimes. And if I'm honest, sometimes, you know, when, when that attitude creeps up in me, right, it's that, it's that attitude where you're like, I'm not doing that, right? I'm too busy for, for that. You guys know what I'm talking about. You can laugh at me right now, but <laughs> I'm too busy for, for that. I'm, I, I ain't doing that, right? It's so amazing how, how that is, that that seems to creep up inside of us. But I just need you to take a minute and just tell the person next to you, say, I'm not doing that. See, some of you right now are doing it. You're saying, I'm not, even, I'm not telling my neighbor that. <laughs> some of you are doing it right now. Jesus, help us in this church today. Well, we're starting this brand new series today called Journey to the Cross. And what we're going to do each week, we're going to look at one of the last three lessons that Jesus taught to his disciples in this week, this last week of his life, leading up to this place where he would die on the cross and give his life as a ransom for others. There's three things, and they're so powerful that if we're willing to put them into practice in our lives, that, man, it can revolutionize our entire lives. So each week we're going to do this and look at one of these things. What I love about Jesus and what's so cool about him is that we constantly see Jesus in this place where he's upsetting, you know, the status quo. He's, you know, loving people and just turning the head on things with these irrational, generous acts of love, right? He's constantly going against the grain and doing things that other people are like, what are you doing? 
I love that about Jesus. He wasn't afraid to like upset the status quo. And this, this word irrational, like this irrational love that Jesus showed, these irrational acts of service that Jesus did, and that word used to bother me irrational, especially in association with the Jesus, because I always took that word like in a negative connotation, you know, kind of like that crazy wild-eyed guy like who just didn't think about anything and he just acted, you know, like without, without care about anything else, just whatever, you know. That's how I always took irrational, but that's actually not what the word means. The word irrational, according to the dictionary, means this. It means with being without or being depraved of normal mental clarity or not in accordance with reason. And the phrase there without normal mental clarity. So without the status quo, without the accepted way of what's normal, this is what's done. Like irrational is doing the opposite. And I love that Jesus did that. Didn't he do that? He just went against every. What is he doing? That's not how we do things, right? And Jesus just, he lived this way. He lived with this irrational love towards people, these irrational acts towards people, acts of love towards people, just going against what everybody accepted as this is just how it is and how we got to be. And that's just, that's how it is in the kingdom of God sometimes. Sometimes we think, well, everybody's just going this way. And if you want normal, you can have it. You can go down that path. I've been down that path and I ain't going there no more. I'm going with God's way. God's way is better and God's way works and it's different than what everyone else thinks is okay. You know, reality is we can spend our life any way we want. It's up to you. You can do anything you want with your life. You can spend it on you. You can spend it on vacations, getting your me time, getting your weekends in, the things you want to do. You can do anything you want, but if you only spend your life on you at the end of it, you're just going to be empty. I'm just telling you, you don't have to. I mean, you can do anything you want with it, but you can only spend it once. Spend it well. Spend it well. God's way is better. God's way works. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And people that don't know Jesus, that are without him, they don't understand. Why are you going to church on Sunday? You're doing what? Man, why, why are you giving to that church? Don't you know that preacher just wants your money? They don't understand it. But to, but to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. We understand there's something different at work when we put God first. We have a different understanding. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence. I will frustrate. Man, today I want to look at this picture of Jesus washing feet. This picture of Jesus washing feet, it's, it's the picture of Jesus serving and loving those he was closest to in an extravagant and irrational way. And I'll, I just, I got to be honest with you guys. I'm going to just tell you, I got, an, I got a plan for today. I got an agenda behind what I'm telling you today. And I'm just going to tell you what it is right up front so you just know, okay? Sometimes I want to take you to a place, but today I want to tell you right up front, man, I just want to get you up out of your chair. I want to get you moving in a place where you're serving somebody else. That's the plan that I have for us today, and it's not my plan. It's God's plan. It's God's vision for our lives. So if you've got a Bible today, you've got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, open it up to John chapter 13 and verse 1. That's where we're going to start today. It says this. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. So let me say a little context for us in the picture of here. Jesus is here with his disciples He's gathered together with them in this moment. He's about to have his last meal. He's about to 
share his final lesson with him. And what's amazing in this moment, it says that he knew the hour has come for him to go through everything he's about to go through. Isn't that wild to think about? He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew he was about to be arrested and spit on and punched. He knew his beard was about to be plucked out, that he would be abused and whipped and tortured and nailed to a cross. He knew he was about to shed his blood and give it for the remission of our sins, for the saving of the entire world. He knew this was about to happen. He knew it was hours away from happening. In fact, as you rewind through the Gospels, you see all leading up to this, how he would constantly tell his disciples, hey, they're about to arrest me. I'm about to die on a cross. I'm about to give my life. Isn't that crazy to think about? Jesus knew all these terrible things were about to come. Can you imagine, like, the emotions of that? That's so crazy to think about how Jesus lived with the emotion, the knowledge of, hey, I'm going to die in this terrible way. But I love that it's in there, that Jesus lived this way, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I deal with emotions all day long. Anybody else have emotions? Emotions come and go. They come at us all the time, and that's not the problem. The problem is how we deal with emotions. How are we going to handle them? Are we going to let them push us around and bully us into how we live, or are we going to be like Jesus and let emotions be there, but we're going to still live steady? I'm going to continue progressing and taking steps to where God is leading me. I'm, gonna con- I'm not going to let the emotions dictate my life. I'm going to dictate my life according to what God is speaking to me. Amen. That's a good place to say amen right there. Next verse, verse 2, it says, He loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. Ah, I love that right there. He loved them to the end. He didn't just say it. He showed them. He showed them, I love you. I loved them to the end. And maybe you're wondering that today. Yep, it's true. God loves you to the end too. He loves you to the end. So here's Jesus with his disciples. He's gathered in the upper room with his 12 closest friends about to have his final meal, right? As we look back through the week of Jesus leading up there at the beginning of the week, he's having this amazing moment as he's riding into the city on a donkey, right? And all the people, they're pulling palm leaves off and laying them on the road and everyone in the city is singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a celebration. The whole city was in an uproar singing this as he came into the city. What an amazing moment. The next day, he's in the temple and he sees people in there changing money out. He sees people selling things to sacrifice to God. And he has this righteous anger that comes up. He starts throwing those people out, overturning tables, causing a scene. He says, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Man, what a powerful moment. The very next day, he gets into a a very public and heated debate with the religious leaders of the day, right? Everyone is around watching this debate with the leaders. And here we see him on this Thursday, right? We celebrate Good Friday, right? It's the day that Jesus was arrested, crucified, all that. That happened on Friday. This passage we're reading about is Thursday, the night before. So here's Jesus in this moment with his, clo- uh, his closest 12 friends, his disciples, in this room about to share one of the most well-known spiritual moments the world has ever seen. Everyone who knows about the Last Supper, even if you don't, aren't a Christian, you've seen the painting, you know what the Last Supper is, right? We've seen Jesus with the cup and the disciples in the middle of the t- right? You can picture it in your mind right now. Everybody knows about the Last Supper. Here they are in this moment about to have this final meal, about to share communion together. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take it. And he, he takes the cup and he, he blesses it. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood that is shed for the remission of your sin. Take it and drink. Here they are in this 
super spiritual moment. Can you just picture yourself in that moment, how spiritual it was and how amazing it must have been? Here they are in the spiritual high moment with Jesus. And the very next moment, as soon as communion's over, the disciples all of a sudden start acting like two-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Scripture says that a dispute broke out among the disciples. How what in the world? Here they are with Jesus in the spiritual moment. All of a sudden, a dispute breaks out. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who is the cream of the crop? Who is the tip top? Who is the best of the best? You know, they were all shouting like, yo, it's me, it's me. Actually, Scripture doesn't tell us the conversation that they had, and it's probably a good thing, right? Because some of those guys, they needed to be with Jesus a little longer. Yeah, doesn't tell us the conversation, but can we just have a little fun and just pretend like what that, can we just pretend that conversation for a minute, right? I love John, the disciple. He wrote the book of John, but what I don't get about John, this dude was something else, right? Every time he wrote about himself, he never called himself John. He always referred to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Like, what is, what is wrong with you, bro? You're going to call yourself the one that Jesus loved? Hey, it's Peter, John, and the, uh, it's Peter, James, and the one that Jesus loved. You know, he stood up and he was like, guys, this is obvious. Who's the greatest? The one that Jesus loves. (laughs) You know, Peter was there. He was having none of that. You know, he stood up. He was like, hold up. All y'all were in the boat. I got out, y'all. I was walking on the water. Greatest. You know, somebody was sitting in the back. was like, yeah, but you sank too, bro. Yeah, yeah. That was one of y'all. I know it was one of you guys. I bet Bartholomew was there, and he was like, guys, guys, what about me? I'm the greatest. You know, all of them stood up and were like, no way, dude. No one's even going to remember you're a disciple. You don't even have a book of the Bible, man. Like, it's not you. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? (laughs) Can you believe these guys? Man. And here's Jesus. I wonder what his thoughts were. I bet he was... I mean, Scripture doesn't record what he was thinking, but I can imagine his thoughts being something like, guys, I already told you the answer to this question. We already had this discussion. I told you the answer. In fact, as we rewind Scripture back to Matthew 20 and verse 26, Jesus is in a similar setting with his disciples. They're having the same conversation. Who's the greatest? And he tells them this in in verse 26. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is there with his closest friends at his final meal. He's looking around. What does he see? He sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Proud hearts and dirty feet. Watch, watch what Jesus does when he sees that. Verse 4 says, he got up from the meal, he took off his outer garment, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Does anybody else find that odd? (coughs) Strange thing to do in that setting. They're arguing about who's the best, and Jesus gets up, doesn't say anything, takes off his outer garment, puts on a servant's apron, gets a bowl out, starts filling it with water. See, for us, we don't fully understand the the severity of that moment because our culture is different, right? 
In our culture, when if I was to come to your house and be a guest at your house on a beautiful Florida day like today, have my jacket on, I was to come in, you'd be like, Pastor, can I, can I take your jacket? It's common courtesy. Right? Can I get you something to drink? It's, it's, it's just you're being polite, right? Hopefully, if I came into your house, you wouldn't say, hey, Pastor, can I take your jacket? Would you like a pedicure? Like, y'all, don't touch my feet. Come on. That's, that's personal space, and feet are gross. Feet are just gross, right? But see, in Jesus' day, the culture was different. In Jesus' day, when you would come to somebody's house and you were a guest, the first thing the host would do is kiss you on the cheek. The next thing the host would do is ask, would you like your feet washed? There's a couple reasons for this. One of the reasons was when they would eat, they reclined. They laid at the table on their side, right? That's good. That seems like a comfortable way to eat. See, we sit at a table. My feet are hidden. No one sees my feet. See, when I'm reclined at a table and I got people sitting next to me, it's all good, I, you know, until I look this way and I see this guy's feet right here by my face. Pass me a biscuit. I got some jam right here. <laughs> Ain't nobody need that toe jam while you're eating. It's important to wash some feet, y'all. So you'd come to the house and the guy would say, would you like your feet washed? Yes, yes, I would because I'm wearing sandals. I'm not wearing cool kicks. I don't got no fresh J's that I'm wearing. I've been walking all over the place because, uh, you know, we didn't have cars. I've been walking, and my feet have been everywhere. They're filthy. They got stuff on them. They're dirty. Okay, great. Let me show you how important I am. I have, a, I have a servant to do that for you. See, the host would never, never be the one to wash the feet because it was, in that, that culture, it was too low of a task. It was too demeaning of a task to wash somebody's feet because they had, I, let me show you, I, I'm important that I have somebody that can do that for you. I would, I would never, I'm not doing that, right? See, it was, it was a different culture then. Can you imagine the horror the disciples felt in that moment? What, what is he doing? Even Peter got up, he was like, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Stay away from my feet. Jesus was like, bro, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Woo. Here's Jesus. Yeah, that's what Peter said. Lord, not just my feet, but my whole self. Wash my whole self. Feet are nasty. Feet are gross. This demeaning, menial task reserved for the lowest of the low. Here's Jesus. See, for us, I mean, we can picture like you're sitting in your house watching Netflix, you know, in your comfy pants. All of a sudden, you, you open the door. It's the Queen of England. I, I didn't even fix my hair today. What if she would say to you, can I clean your toilets? No, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. But see, what Jesus is showing us in this moment is even lower than that. that that's what this task was in that, in that culture. And here's Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the maker of heaven and earth, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, our savior, our redeemer, the bread of life, the lamb of God. Slain for the world. What does he do? He puts on a slave apron. He gets down on his knees. He starts washing feet. He's washing feet. See, Scripture says he loved his own to the end. He didn't just talk about it. He showed them. He's down there washing his feet. He's drying them with the towel that he's wearing. He loved his own. He showed them by doing something that everyone else thought it was too low to do. He showed them. Jesus, 
washing feet. What if we started living this way? What if we started living this way? Jesus said, I see a need. I see dirty feet. I can do that. What if we would dare to say, God, would you give me eyes to see a hurt? God, would you give me ears to hear a need? God, would you give me a heart that cares? God, is this something that you're asking me to do? I, just, I dare you to ask him that question. If, when you wake up in the morning, just say, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear, give me a heart to care so that when I see a need that I can pause and say, God, is this something that I can feel? And his answer will be yes. See, that's what we're called to do, to see a need and fill it, to see a hurt and heal it. And that's what the world is looking for. The world has had enough of people getting in their face, telling them that God is angry at them, telling them that they're sinners and done things, throwing up the Bible in their face. The world isn't looking for that. They already know they're in sin. The world is looking for a church that's willing to get down on their knees and say, I can do that. The world is looking for a church that's willing to get down in the dirt and serve somebody else. I'm not too important for that. I can do that. That's what the world is looking for. The world is looking to see if we really care, if we really believe what we're saying, or if it's just something we just hold under our arm in our Bible. See, some people are like, well, I can have faith in God and not serve. No, you can't. Just get out your Bible and start reading James, and then you come back. We'll have that conversation. Show me your faith, and I'll show it to you by your works, by your service. You can't have one without the other. They're not separated. That's what the world needs right now. Our country is messed up. There's a lot of crazy things going on. But our world just needs to see if the church is willing to get up out of the church, get outside of the walls, and get down in the dirt and the muck and do something to make a difference in the life of somebody else. It's not about if I'm going to get my name known. I'm not down there with Instagram while I'm serving. It's not about that. See, a serving is never about the attitude. A servant is ne- I'm sorry, a servant is never about the action. It's about the attitude of my heart. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to care. Because we'll be walking, we'll have a friend that's moving, and you'll think, well, it's busy at work right now. I've got a lot of extra projects. And man, I've, I've just been working those extra hours. I need to get home because I need me time. I need, I need that time for me to just, you know, de- declassify myself. But instead, you'll say, I've moved before. I, I needed help. I, I got this one. This one's mine. You'll be walking into church with, got your cup of coffee, stirring it up, proudly brew Starbucks coffee. I'm so glad my church has great coffee. And yeah. you'll look over and you'll see the trash can overflowing because one of the Dream Team people haven't got to it yet. And you'll start thinking, I better get in there because someone's going to sit in my seat. Because I didn't know, if you didn't know, there's reserved seating in here. <laughs> Somebody better not be sitting in my seat. I got to get in there. But instead, you'll say, no one asked me to do it. I got this one. This one's mine. Yeah. You'll walk out of church one day, and you'll look in the kids' room, and you'll say, hey, they need, they need more adult leaders in there. But, you know, I, I just need a break from my kids. I don't even, I'm not even good with kids. I wouldn't even know what to say. But instead, you'll say, hey, I can just show up every week. I might not know everything to say. I might not know everything that kids need, but I can be there every week. I can, I can do that. This one's mine. You'll see a mom carrying her baby, and you'll start thinking, I've had babies before. I've had kids before. I know how to take care of babies. I know how to change diapers. You know what? I got this. This one's mine. Are you a garbage collector? You know what? Today I am. 
Are you a mover? You know what? Today I am. Are you a leader of this next generation? You know what? Today I am. Are you a diaper changer? You know what? Today I am. I'm the best in the land, baby, because everything I do, I do for the glory of God. See, serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. If you got Instagram, I'll wait a minute. I'll come over here. A serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. It's who we are. That's what a servant does. See, when we get out of ourselves and we begin to serve somebody else, what happens is no longer am I just coming to church. Well, pastor wants me to come to church. Pastor wants me to be on the team. When we begin to get out of ourselves and we begin to use our God-given gifts to impact the life of somebody else, to serve in his house, to serve in the church, to serve as the church, we begin, it begins to change. The, the script begins to change. No longer do I just got to come to church. Now I am the church because we are the church. And now, like, where do I get to serve today? I can't wait to get there to serve. Man, it begins to change everything. Some of you are wondering, man, I just wish my kids would follow Jesus more. I just wish my kids would grow up. And I just don't even want to go through those terrible teenage years. You just need to show them what it's like to serve Jesus in a passionate way. They need to see you doing it. If Jesus had to show his disciples how to do it, guess what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to show them how to do it. See, and when we begin to serve, it changes everything. So many times I hear people say, well, I've just been looking for a church that meets my needs. I just haven't found one. I've tried 14 of them, and I just haven't found one that meets my needs. You know, I need to get spiritually fed. Man, every time I hear that, everything inside of me just wants, just wants to scream out like, hey, listen, please, we got it backwards. If we are followers of Jesus, we are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. We serve with compassion. The church does not exist for us. We are the church. We exist for the world. Why? Because the greatest is the one who serves. The greatest is the one who serves. Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he served people. I think about a time in my own life where my wife and Heather and I, we were working in the church. It was our job. And we, you know, we got involved in the church, but only just enough to be like, hey, we, yeah, we helped. We got in, involved just enough to say, you know, we were serving, but we, we weren't those people, you know, like the ones who were like, yeah, we get to serve. I can't wait to, like, we were just like, mm, okay, I, I can just, I can put my toe in, right? I'm just being honest with you guys. And so, but we had this desire inside of our heart, God, we want to, I just want my life to matter. I want to do something that helps somebody else. I want to, do something important that impacts the life of somebody else. We just, so we just began to pray this. God, would you give us these eyes to see? Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to care that we can show us what we can do. Show us the opportunities because every time we pray that, God will open opportunities in your life. Amen. We began to pray this. And honestly, there's a period of time where nothing really happened in our lives. It didn't, nothing changed. We just went about our regular lives. I worked in one office in the church. Heather worked in the after school program at the church. And I remember the day she came home from work and she said, you know, there's these ninth and 10th graders that work for, they worked for her in the after school care program. And she's like, I just, I can't get them to stop talking to me. 
They won't leave me alone. They just want, they just, even after they're off the clock, they just come and hang out in my office. They just want to talk to me all the time. And do you know what? Can you believe it? They asked if they could come to our house. They were begging to come to our house. What? So we just, we began to pray, God, is this a moment? Is this something you want us to do? And we just took a step of faith and we had, you know, 10 or 12, 9 and 10th graders at our house. And I mean, we just, it was amazing what God began to do. And we just began to just have them over to our house every week. We just, every week through the rest of their high school career, year, you know, those three to four years, man, just every week they were at our house just feeding them pizza, just loving on them, hanging out with them, playing crazy, ridiculous games that I would not recommend looking back. But, man, just spending, t- <laughs> just spending time with them, just letting them know that somebody cared about them. So many of them were from broken homes. So many of them, think about one girl, her mom didn't want her around the house anymore. She had nowhere else to go. It was basically just a place to sleep. Man, her mom would just leave for days at a time and not even tell her where to go. Just make sure you get to school somehow. Man, kids from broken, they just needed to know that somebody cared about them, that somebody who called themselves a Christian would actually show them love and spend time with them. Man, we just began to teach them what we knew. Like some of them didn't even know how to grill chicken on the barbecue, man. We just began to like, hey, this is how you do Spend time with them. And it wasn't long before they began to ask us questions about God. They began to ask us, hey, can we do a Bible study when we're at your house? Yeah. Man, we just began to spend time with them. And, you know, honestly, some of them, you know, took a hold of it and, you know, you could see the evidence in their lives. Some of them, you're like, do you listen to any words that come out of my mouth? <laughs> Think about one young man in particular, and uh, he would come, man, he was just so hungry for this that while all of his friends were having lunch at school, he would come to my office and eat there and tell, the, tell all of his friends this is the coolest place to eat lunch. I mean, it was not. <laughs> but he just wanted to be around somebody so bad that just loved him, that just cared about him, would invest. And man, his friends were, you know, at, you know, ninth grade were into drugs and into girls and all this stuff. And he was getting sucked into this life. And I remember so many times with him, just conversations with him, just pleading with him, hey, don't go this way, go this way, just doing whatever I could. And man, there's just, it just seemed like nothing was working. It just seemed like nothing got through. But I remember the day I, we had moved here to Florida and I got a phone call. And it was this young man. And he called me up and he just said, Thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. He said, Thank you for loving me, for spending time with me. Thank you. I know it seemed like I never listened to you or did what you said, but I heard what you said. It made a difference in my life. And that young man today, he said, I'm a youth pastor now. And I'm telling them the same things you taught me. Guys, I will buy however many pizzas it takes. Are you kidding? I will do that all day long. Man, whatever it takes, that's the heart of a servant right there. Whatever it takes, I got, are you kidding me? What a thrill to be used by God in this way. God, I just bought some pizzas that have made a difference in the life of some teenagers. Thank you, God, for using me. 
God, I took out some trash, I changed some diapers, and it made a difference in the life of some. Thank you, God, for using me. God, I just, you think I'm just a lawnmower. I'm just out there mowing the lawns as best I can. You can't even tell. All the blades of grass are the same after I mow. You think that's what I'm doing, but in fact, when I'm driving around your lawn, I'm praying over your house. You just thought I was a lawnmower, but in fact, I'm laying the foundation for God to do something great in your life. Thank you, God, for using me. You just thought I worked at the bank, but instead, every day, I'm showing the love of God to people in an excellent way. See, servant is not what I do. A servant is who I am. It's not religious. It's not, you gotta go to church. No, man, I, it, it just changes everything. See, the moment we get out of ourselves and we begin to serve somebody else, God always changes a life. It's just usually the first life he changes is yours. God always changes a life when we get out of ourselves and we serve somebody else. It's just that life is usually yours, the first one. We want to see our marriage change. Serve your spouse. Outserve your spouse. You want to see friendships change? Man, begin to serve your friendships. Serve those friends. You want to see your community change? Man, get out there and serve your community. Man, I'm just tired. I can't believe all these kids out there. Why don't you get up and do something about it? That's what Jesus did. On his way to giving his life for. Can we just, in this moment, can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? Believe that God is moving in this place. And please don't hear what I'm not saying today. I'm not up here begging people to be involved in the church. Honestly, we have vision as long as the day is. We have more vision than there's resource for this church and what God can do in our city. But our, the vision is only going to move forward as far as you decide. That's the speed at which it's going to move forward. As much as we decide we're going to move this forward, as much as we come together and say, hey, let's take this city. Let's impact our community. We're going to keep moving forward. The church is doing great. It'll just be better with you. Lord, I thank you that you're in this place today, God. God, thank you for serving us. God, that's so crazy to even think that you would come and serve us. God. Thank you. Thank you for giving yourself to save us. God, I pray even in this moment that you're moving on hearts. You're speaking to people in this place, God, that we've been sitting on the sidelines too long, that God, it's time to get in the race, that we've been sitting in these chairs too long. No longer can we sit by and let somebody else do what we were called to do. No longer can I sit by and let somebody else do something where I'm supposed to be involved. Lord, I thank you for that holy fire to come alive inside of every heart right now, that we will be the church, that we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for this community. We exist for this city and for this world, God. So I thank you for that coming alive inside of every person that's here, that we will run. We will run to those. We will get on our knees and serve those that are hurting, Lord God. We will see needs and fill it. We will see hurts and heal it, God. I thank you for it, God. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, Lord God, and give us hearts to care. 